and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. So that's from the uh, ESV version. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by, by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. A few verses from the start of Ephesians chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. You starting to see it? In Christ, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In him, verse 7. We have, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, sins, according to the riches of his grace. Down to verse 11. In him we have, been, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who, calls, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. We could go on and on. Uh, a follower of Jesus, someone who puts their trust in the Lord Jesus, is united with Christ, the Bible says. Now, if you're anything like me, uh, I don't know, you might have a bit of trouble. I have a bit of trouble getting my head around that. What does it actually mean to be in Christ? You're also probably wondering what, right now, what on earth has this got to do with 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 1 to 12? Are you wondering that? Because I hope you are. That's the idea. We will get to that soon enough, but I want to give you an illustration that I think which will help. Now, it comes from a book that I so thoroughly recommend. It's by a guy called Rory Shiner. There's a picture up there. It's a little book. It's less than 100 pages. I'd read it in a couple hours. Um, and it's called One Forever. And you guessed it. What's it about? It's about being a follow, that a follower of Jesus is in Christ. So imagine yourself at the airport. Can you imagine that? Good times. You're going away somewhere. Um, you're about to board a plane. And let's say you're about to board a plane to beautiful Perth. Now, uh, that's Rory's hometown. Rory, who wrote this book I went to college with, it's his hometown, so it's a bit biased. Perth is quite nice, though. Anyway, you're at the airport, there's you, there's the plane, and it's going to Perth. My question is this. What relationship do you need to have with this plane? Would it help, for example, to be under the plane? To submit yourself to, sorry, to submit yourself to the plane's eminent authority in the whole flying to Perth caper? Would it help to be inspired by the plane? You go to the airport, you watch it take off, and you whisper to yourself, oh, one day, one day I could do that too. What about following the plane? You know the plane is going to Perth. And so it stands to reason that if you take note of the direction it goes and pursue it as fast as your little legs can carry you, you too will end up in Perth. Well, you see, of course, the key relationship you need with the plane is not to be under it, no, behind it or inspired by it. You need to be in it. You need to be in the plane. Why? Because by being in the plane, what happens to the plane will also happen to you. The question, did you get to Perth, will be part of this larger question, did the plane get to Perth? 
And if the answer uh, to the second question is yes, you really hope it would be, um, and if you were in the plane, then what happened to the plane will also happen to you. You get it? You see, at the heart of the New Testament teaching about being in Christ, united with Christ, it's at its heart, the New Testament teaching about that is, is what we've just been talking about. It's something like that, at least with the plains and so on. What the Bible teaches is that through our faith in Jesus Christ, we become united to Him. And we are in Christ so that whatever is true of Jesus is true of us. Now, what's all this got to do with 1 Thessalonians chapter 2? Aren't all these verses about pastoral ministry, leadership in the church and all that sort of stuff? Graham, are you sort of putting something off that you need to be talking about? Stay with me. Aren't they all about pastors? And it sure reads like this, that pastors and teachers and gospel leaders uh, should not lose hope in ministry because the preaching of the gospel is not in vain. They should be bold to preach even in the face of suffering, that they should have pure motives in ministry, not by deception or greed, that they should not seek to please our surrounding culture, but seek to please God, that they should be gentle and encouraging and comforting and urging and so on. Isn't this chapter all about that? Well, yes, but... (laughs) But I think there's something more here going on. We can't just leave it there. We need to think a little deeper. And I think the clue comes in verse 12. Have a look at it. See if you can find the phrase, live lives worthy of God. Live lives worthy of God. See, chapter 2, 1 to 12, is not just about Paul's example of gospel leadership. These verses are really about Paul's example of what it means and what it looks like to be in Christ. That's what they're about. Living lives worthy of God. God has brought us into Christ. So 1 Thessalonians 2 is about what it looks like when we interpret our lives in terms of what God says about us rather than what we often do and that is interpret the gospel or Jesus from where we are in life. Now, I've tried to grammatically represent this. If that confuses you no end, look away. (laughs) That's okay. I'm still not sure if it works. But anyway, I think it's all right. I want to read that little sentence again because it's really important. 1 Thessalonians 2 is about what it looks like when we interpret our lives in terms of what God says about us. What does God say about the Christian? You're in Christ rather than what we often do, and that is we interpret the gospel, we interpret Jesus from where we are in life. So the arrows are about that interpreting, our interpreting life from the gospel. So let's see how being united with Christ, being in Christ, being in the plane, shapes Paul's life and ministry. We'll explore that under three headings. You can see them there in your outline. Paul's motivation Paul's sacrifice, and then Paul's behaviour. Firstly, point number one, Paul's motivation. Paul's ministry, and remember I'm speaking of really Paul, Silas and Timothy. Paul's ministry, he says in verse 1, was not a failure. The ESV translates it, was not in vain. 
But from the outside, uh, it certainly looks the case, doesn't it? Remember the story from 1 Thessalonians, uh, sorry, from Acts 17? They were forced out of Thessalonica. Remember, they had to run to Jason's house. It's the only Jason you'll find in the Bible. I'm, it's quite a surprise to find any Jason in the Bible, if you ask me. But not really a Bible name, is it? Anyway, they run to Jason's house and uh, they're forced out of Thessalonica. It's violent opposition. They're dragged in front of the authorities, accused of worshipping false gods by the authorities. Again, blaspheming. They're accused of worshipping gods other than Caesar. Beaten and persecuted, ridiculed and insulted. It doesn't sound much like a success, does it? Really, when we're honest here. It sounds like... It sounds like the life and ministry of Jesus, doesn't it? Accused of blaspheming, worshipping other gods, violent opposition, beaten and persecuted, ridiculed, insulted. It sounds like Jesus. And Paul is united to Jesus. Paul interprets his suffering as what it is. It's part of his life hidden in Christ. His ministry, therefore, was no failure. His, his suffering were not only demonstrated that his ministry was authentic, but put simply, his suffering, suffering comes with the territory of being in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And friends, the Bible is clear. When we persevere in faith, in suffering, for the gospel, that's no failure. That is no failure. In fact, it's quite the opposite. So Paul judged his time at Thessalonica a success. How? Persevering in suffering. Living a life worthy of God, worthy of being in Christ. He stuck at it. And so in practice, as we read in verse 2, this man, among, among other things, that he dared to preach the gospel with boldness in the midst of suffering. So what do you think... What do you think our measure of success ought to be here at St John's? What would it be? Have a think about it for a moment. What's our measure of success? You got a little list going in your head? I hope so. Because you ask anyone behind any gathering, uh, I don't know, a, a concert, a, a, a party, a football match, a school, a university, any sort of gathering, an afternoon tea for cancer, a, a race night for the soccer club. Um, the measure of, the, of success is how many turned up and re, um, maybe who turned up. Perhaps you could add in how much money was raised. That's a measure of success. What's Paul's measure of success? His measure of success for that short time, was only about three weeks in Thessalonica, was not measured in church numbers, no. Not the size and the comfort of the building, nope. Nor even the reputation of the community. Or the crowds that gathered, or the money that was raised. No, success for Paul, as Paul puts it, I think in verse 12, was about living lives worthy of God, worthy of being in Christ. So Paul wanted the Thessalonians to see his example, for they are, as 1 verse 1 said, in Christ. They are like him, united to Christ. So, perhaps you're getting a bit of a feel now for Paul's motivation in ministry. Can you see it? See if you can spot some more, uh, some more clues in these coming verses. Look at verse 3. 
For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. You know, we never use flattery, nor do we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise for men, from men, not from you or anyone else. So because he's united to Christ, it's God's approval that matters. Not the culture around him. Not even the church, not even the gathering there at Thessalonica. It's God's approval that matters. Paul's life is now, as, as we read, read earlier, crucified with Christ, hidden with Christ in God. Paul has been approved on the basis of Jesus. Whatever is true of Jesus is also true of him. Approval by the surrounding culture, that doesn't matter. It means very little to him. Paul is approved by God. For he is in Christ. That's what mattered. Do you know that if you travel on an Australian passport, you can enter without a visa to over 165 countries. In February this year, it was 169. Belgium. You can stay there for 30 days and no one will ask any questions. Botswana. 30 days. Chile. Not sure, didn't write it down. Uh, <laughs> Estonia, 30 days. Gambia, I don't even know where that is. That's okay, you can stay there 30 days too. Haiti, there you go. New Caledonia, sounds very nice. Fiji, Fiji up to four months. Four months without a visa, without anyone asking a question. It's pretty good. New Zealand. Well, they pretty much pay you to stay there. Uh, <laughs> they will let you stay there forever. There's no limit on the Australian visa going into New Zealand. Interesting, hey? Without, or sorry, with an Australian passport such as this one, that's lovely, isn't it? Um, you are approved. Um, Incredible, really, when you look at that photo, that I can get into 169 countries. <laughs> we should take that, I don't know. Anyway, and as you visit other countries, you see what matters is that government's acceptance and approval of you. When you trust in Jesus, let's move, the, let's take that photo off, thanks guys. Let's go to the next slide, go to the next slide. See, when, it's oh, distracting you, I know. Um, when you trust in Jesus, you are united with him. You are approved and accepted, forgiven of our sin. Jesus in his death did that work on the cross for you. In fact, God's acceptance and approval goes even further, really. We'll read Colossians 1. God sees the person who is in Christ. You see it there again, that phrase, in Christ. How does he see us? Perfect in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. That's how God sees you because you are in Christ. You're in the plane, you could say. Did God approve of his son, Jesus? Yes. And if we are in him, he approves of us. Now, Paul knew this. And that changed why he did what he did. Starting to see that motivation question? It changed the way he did ministry. It changed the way he did life. 
He didn't try to trick or deceive people or use impure motives. Unlike many of the travelling philosophers of the day, that's what they would do. That's what Acts 16 is about, if you caught on to that. He was trustworthy. And why would he not be? The, the appeal he made was the truth. It's from God. Nor was he motivated by greed and money. Why would he need to be? He was approved by God. In Christ, he has every spiritual blessing, the Bible tells us. 1 Corinthians 1, uh, uh, chapter 1 says, In Christ, we have been enriched in every way. Why would he need to be motivated by greed and money? We've got Jesus. And in order to use flattery, we might call it buttering someone up, you know, to, make them like, to make them like him for personal gain, to please men, as he says. Again, why would he need to do that? The reputation he has with, with God, who loved him and chose him, was the one that matters. So, here's where we've come. Recap for a minute. We've seen that being in Christ makes a difference in the way Paul did ministry and why he did it. Starting to see that? Next, we'll see that being in Christ makes a difference in, Paul's, in terms of Paul's sacrifice in ministry and, more importantly, in his behaviour. Being in Christ meant Paul was intent on living a life among the Thessalonians the way Jesus lived among the, the disciples. So point number two there, Paul's sacrifice. Let's, let's read from halfway through verse 6, that new paragraph, if you get your Bibles open. As apostles, as apostles of Christ, excuse me, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. Paul was gentle among them. Uh, the, the, the picture actually is, um, it says, like a mother caring for little children. The picture really is a nursing mother. It's a very gentle picture, isn't it? Uh, a mother breastfeeding. How many times did the disciples blow it and Jesus gently moved them back toward or moved them toward maturity? You think a few of those sort of times? Because Paul himself was connected to Jesus, he lived out that reality in gentleness, like Jesus with his disciples. Paul, Silas and Timothy were loving, affectionate and giving. As they modelled Christian ministry, they shared their lives with them. So they weren't stingy with their time. Uh, Paul was a leather worker, tent maker type thing, worked with leather, worked with his hands. He worked night and day, not to be a burden on them. He wasn't greedy. The generosity of the cross was his inspiration. They gave their lives, Paul, Silas and Timothy, to them. It wasn't leadership at a distance. Do you see that? They were in the trenches, getting dirty with them, sharing life struggles, ups and downs, disappointments, failures and so on. Walking alongside, loving, sharing, giving time, giving their lives as they gave the gospel. So... Do you aspire to lead in Christian ministry and service? I hope you do. 
I hope you do aspire to lead in Christian ministry and service. Uh, Perhaps it's a small group leader. Perhaps as a song leader or service leader. Perhaps on parish council. Uh, Perhaps even in full-time ministry. Paul's example in these verses and the ones to follow are, well, definitely worth meditating on, are they not? Well, finally in verses 10 to 12, in Christ-like obedience, they lived out their identity. Because they are in Christ, they are like Christ. Verse 10, you are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Paul, Silas and Timothy's Christ-like, see that, holy, righteous and blameless, Christ-like example to the church, it was public and it was noticed. The church at Thessalonica witnessed their lives as they lived their lives worthy of God. Above reproach, as Paul uses that term in 1 Timothy and Titus. Now, what did this look like in practice? Well, verse 11 tells us, Paul deals, uh, describes his time among them like a father dealing with his own children, encouraging, comforting and urging. So, being in Christ meant growing, not standing still, urging to keep at it and making progress towards greater Christian maturity. That phrase, more and more, comes up all through 1 and 2 Thessalonians. Do this more and more. Love each other more and more. Imagine for a moment then a father urging his young son up a steep climb, encouraging comforting with cries of well done you can do it uh what else would you say you'd say good job you know keep going step by step we're going to get there we're going to make progress and maybe at times the father looks up the hill to the to the summit and describes the impressive view that can be seen from the top now that's what it is with paul as he dealt with the thessalonian church encouraging them forward to the summit What's the summit? Look at verse 12. Where they would experience the glory of God's everlasting kingdom who calls you into his kingdom and glory. That's where God, that's the summit where God is leading us and taking us. I reckon it's worth noting quickly too before we close things up is that what's said here about fatherhood. Did you pick it up? Fatherhood's not detached opting for the path of least resistance just to keep the peace. Nor is it do as I say, not as I do. How does Paul describe fatherhood? It's setting an example, being involved in love, encouraging, comforting and urging. Urging, the father urging his children to live lives worthy of God, you could say. Okay, well let's, let's conclude and let's tie these things together. 1 Thessalonians 2 is about what it looks like when we interpret our lives in terms of what God says about us. What does he say about us? If you're a Christian person, you put your trust in the Lord Jesus, you are in Christ. Rather than interpreting our lives as we often do, uh, interpreting the gospel, Jesus, from where we are in life our struggles, our victories, our pain, our sorrow, whatever it might be. You see, yes, we see that genuine Christian ministry 
we see what it ought to look like. And for some of us, now I'm thinking me here, uh, this passage will be a reminder, um, ask me later if you like, it might even be a rebuke of our behaviour. I, I didn't behave very well at a, in about, about this time, 24 hours ago. Um, and I can tell you later on that I didn't behave very well and I wasn't very happy with the way I behaved. And it's, unfortunately, it was publicly. And, I, and a good friend from church here had to actually help me to behave better. Um, this passage, yes, it, it, for me, definitely, it's been a rebuke. Um, and maybe it's the same for you as well, I don't know. But it also reminds us as w- of why we do what we do, what's Christian ministry about and the example we set. But I think even more than that, God actually gives us in his word an example in Paul, Silas and Timothy in what it means and what it looks like to live lives worthy of God, to be united to Christ, to be in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Lord, most of all, as we put our trust in you, Lord Jesus, and maybe today... uh, Lord, we need to do that for the very first time. We need to put our trust in the Lord Jesus. And so, Lord, we are indeed, when we do that, we are in Christ. And so we, the way, Father, the way you see Jesus is, is uh, or the way you see us is the way you see Jesus. So, Lord God, we pray that we would live our lives worthy of that and that we would indeed interpret our lives um, with that good news that, you, Lord God, you have saved us and you have brought us back into your presence in the Lord Jesus. Uh, Help us with that, dear God. Uh, And in these things uh, we, we pray in your name. Amen.